Hey everyone, welcome to this edition of Pitch Count with me, Pete, and Chris. Uh, today we're diving into two different positions because they're both the one, really the two that nobody really wants to talk about, and that's relief pitcher and catcher. Chris, early thoughts on relief pitcher strategy? Yeah, so I think that you need to figure out where you want to attack and just kind of go for those guys. Um, if you want to have three stacked closers, um, that's obviously kind of the overwhelming strategy in a league that has saves rather than hold saves. But also there's other strategies as well. You could get three SPRP eligible guys that are either starters or you could either get um, them and kind of boost up all of your uh, counting stats, or you can go for SPRPs and then stack them in your SP slot and then also get RPs with high ratios so that you're kind of getting overwhelming strikeouts, guys with high K per nines and stuff like that. So just knowing where you want to attack and going after those guys is a good strategy to head into draft day with. Right. I mean, definitely with our league, the wild West where it's weekly lineups and you only get five starting pitcher spots and three relief pitcher spots. Obviously if you have a starter in those RP spots, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, in world series of fantasy baseball, the one we're going to send this podcast to, um, you know, starting pitchers and relief pitcher spots are they're separated it's not just a pitcher spot but <clears throat> it's daily lineup so you know you can you can change that every day depending on what you want if you want to have six starters as long as one of them has rp eligibility one day you can do that my issue with taking seventh and eighth inning guys um obviously if, if holds as a category or save holds as a category then it's, it's different but those are the guys that get called in to face the middle of the order. Those are the guys who it's a close game and the manager says, I need three outs. I got to call this guy in. Um, and that's part of the reason why they're not getting saves. And I, I don't want to get too much into Josh Hader already. Um, but that's, that's one concern I have about him is that they'll want to use him in that kind of role where, yeah, it's, I, those are typically the best pitchers on the team or at least in the bullpen. But do you really want a guy who every time he takes the mound is going to be facing the best players in the opposing lineup? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, obviously you see success cases with like Hater and even like Emilio Pagan is another kind of example of that. I think he's like a lesser version of Hater. Um, I think that those guys are rare. Uh, you, you, you're lucky to find one. You got to hold on to it and kind of ride it out as long as you can. But that's why I would definitely prefer to take, a surefire closer rather than those guys in our league. Same. I mean, I, and the position is obviously changing with, you know, I think it was over like 80 different players got a save last year, which is kind of crazy, but that position is so volatile and, and you have guys who are in a shutdown eighth inning guy one year and then the next year they dabble in the closer role and they're not as good. And they try to go back to the, and they're not good. And, and obviously I'm a Red Sox fan. So, what comes to mind really is Ryan Brazier and to a lesser extent, Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes was actually pretty solid this year, but um, the idea that, well, we can lose Craig Kimbrell because Barnes and, and Brazier were so good in a relief role, they'll be able to close and neither really could. Um, and it really wasn't a good year um, for the Red Sox bullpen because the position's so volatile. One year it looks great, the next year it doesn't. So it makes those high-end guys who do it year in and year out so valuable. So who were your... Uh, Let's call it a – let's go by tier. Who are your top tier, uh, Chris, for relief pitcher? Maybe the top my, four guys. Well, my tier actually extends to the top five um, for me. I have Hater, 
Yates, Chapman, Azuna, and I also put Liam Hendricks into that category. Love Liam Hendricks. I just think I, you know, judging off of what he did last year, I don't see any reasons why that will start to disappear. I think that he's a top five closer for sure. He definitely performed like one. Uh, I am a Hendricks fan. I actually have him down at nine, and it's pretty simple why I have him down there. I have concern that Hendricks might end up in that sort of Josh Hader role, not the closer role. And obviously Hader ended up holding onto the closer role despite manager Craig Council's um, reluctance to do so. Because this is a guy who can go multiple innings. He used to start um, and Blake Trinan, I guess this again goes back to how volatile this position is, but Blake Trinan turned in one of the best closer seasons we've seen in a long time, two years ago with him and Edwin Diaz. Um and if he can show that magic again and he's a one-pitch guy or a one-inning guy and they want him in the closer role and then they can use Hendricks whenever, um, I mean, maybe it's a lame reason to rank him so low given his performance, but it's a small sample size and I am worried about uh, that situation there. Yeah, I can definitely see that situation happening. But from what I saw last year, when he got the job, he didn't even relinquish like one inning of closer duty to Trinan and Trinan had just was not himself last year. I kind of see Trinan ending up more like Mark Melanson where he had like that one great year where he got like 50 some odd saves. And then we just really haven't heard from him in the same way. And I just don't see Liam Hendricks falling off a cliff like that. I think that he's going to be a two out or a two inning save guy. Well, that would be huge. Um, and again, for our league, and, and we talked about this last week, we count strikeouts per nine. Uh, now, really, pretty much everybody we're going to talk about today has a great strikeouts per nine, but Hendricks in particular with 13.07, and that, that number will hold a lot more weight if he's giving more innings. Um, out of my – I don't I don't know your rankings yet, but out of my top 16, he had by far the most innings pitched with 85. I think the next closest might have been, uh, yeah, Hater with 75. Um so that, that inning total does does kind of matter there. Yeah, it would be like if Josh Hader started closing games for like the second half of a season and then did not close or didn't didn't do anything but close for the rest of the season. Right. Sure. You would kind of your eyebrows would go like, hmm, I wonder what's going on there. So my issue with this top tier, and not with yours, but just with the top tier of closers in general, I'm never gonna own them. I I, I just won't. Uh, you know, we're in our league again, and I'll keep bringing it back to our league, but this, for me, this mindset goes for all leagues. Um, even the ones that count strikeout per nine. So maybe hater is a bit of an exception because that 16.41 K nine is just ridiculous, but I would just rather have the starting pitcher. Um, we not only count wins, but we also count quality starts. And if I'm going to have to pay a first or second round pick after the keeper round, so really a fourth or fifth in a 16 team league on a closer, I'd rather have the starting pitchers going in. I want, I want the volume. Um, and as, as great, as important as saves are, they're only one category of 14 in our league or in most leagues, one of 10 categories. Um, whereas a starting pitcher can just simply impact more, um, in head to head leagues, obviously in rotisserie leagues. Um, I think these guys can have a much more significant impact. Yeah. Um, I, I have to agree with you. I, I will not be owning any of these guys for sure. I'm just not going to buy a closer as early as they're going to go. So. Right. But if we have to rank them in, in the order in which we would be in which we would value them, then I'm actually in the same uh, area code as you, my top four hater Yates Chapman Osuna. Um, and I don't have Hendricks down until nine, but it was my number five guy that definitely caught your attention. Uh, and I think it would catch most people's attention. And that was Ken Giles. So 
before on, I go on my tangent about Ken Giles, what are your thoughts on the 29-year-old closer for the Blue Jays? Look, I love it when he's out there and when he's healthy and when he's um, in the ninth inning, but there's two things that scare me about Ken Giles. I have him ranked 13th, um, and it's just due to his health concerns, A, and B, being on a bad Blue Jays team. I think that Blue, the Blue Jays are going to get better, but they're not going to be a team that's going to be competitive, so I don't think that the save opportunities will be as high as the guys I have listed ahead of them. Sure. Um, I mean, the injury concerns are particularly concerning when you consider their elbow. Um, I, I definitely grant you that. Um, I I would kind of contest – I mean – the Blue Jays are are not good, or at least they weren't good last year. And, and you did acknowledge they would improve, and I would agree with that. And you definitely want closers on better teams. I mean, we see three of my top four were all playoff teams, right? Milwaukee, the Yankees, and Houston. Um, but I do think Toronto should be good enough that there's going to be plenty of save opportunities for Giles. And when he has those opportunities, he executes. He, he had the least amount of uh, opportunities in this top five by a significant margin, of course, because as he said, he was battling injury. He got dealt in the middle of the year, but um, in 24 opportunities, he converted 23 of them. And this is consistent throughout his career. This is a guy who does not blow saves. His strikeouts per nine was in the top four of all the guys on my top 16. Um, Typically for closers, you want two, at least two pitches, right? And one of them you hope is a dominant pitch that you can rely on. Now, Ken Giles throws heat, but his real valuable pitch is the slider, which he throws about half the time. And if we rank the the, the P-Val for that slider um, among all pitchers who pitched at least 50 innings, and Giles just qualifies with 53 innings, so small sample, sure. His slider ranks 17th in all of baseball. Uh, 15th on that list was Cole, 16th was Bieber. Um, so he's in good company. Uh, it was the highest K rate of his career. He lowered his home run rate in a year where no one else lowered their home run rate. It felt like um, his XFIP 2.73 kind of backs up what he's been doing. And that XFIP is lower than Chapman, Osuna, Jansen, Hand, Diaz, and Hendricks. Um, so I kind of have high expectations for Giles. Granted, it could blow up, you know, elbow concerns, not that good of a team. So maybe the opportunities aren't there like I predict, but um I think there's a lot of upside with Giles, and I think he's actually the type of guy who, where compared to where I have him ranked versus the industry um, and where I'd be comfortable taking a closer, I kind of expect to have Giles in quite a few leagues this year. I would say that that's fair, and I think that if you're going to take a chance out of any of the guys on the list, I think that Ken Giles is the one. He's the one that has the biggest probability to end up anywhere from like 5th to like 25th, just depending on injuries and how much he's out there he's he's got the biggest you know sort of uh range for where he could fall so if you want to take a risk on somebody in in the later rounds i think that ken giles is he's got the numbers to definitely back up the performance the most volatile guy at the most volatile position so rolling the dice there um and i will say given my next guy on the list and i'm i'm curious to see where you have this particular player uh given your dodger fandom part of the reason i have giles so high um, is just because of the the other players around him, or at least where I have it. I mean, there's so many question marks with these next three. Jansen, Hand, Diaz for me. Those were my next three. And even if you want to skip Hendricks at nine, Kimbrel at 10, there's so many question marks there that I sort of feel like Giles is uh, sort of fits right in. Uh, it might actually be better than all of them. So Jansen was the player I was talking about. Where do you have Jansen ranked, and what are your thoughts on him for, for 2020? I actually have Jansen just one spot behind you. I have him behind hand. Um, I have serious concerns with 
Jansen's career um, in general. I think that he's hitting twilight a little bit early from these heart surgeries. Um, I don't know if it's going to be him next year or if we're going to start to see the Julio Urias kind of transition into closer. Um, but I, I think for right now, he's on a winning team. He's He showed um, signs of his former self last year, not all the time. So it's hard for me to not put him in the top 10. And interesting you bring up Urias. I, I hadn't heard that, um, but he's definitely the type of guy who may have the stuff that's necessary for a closer. We know that the Dodgers rotate between like 75 starting pitchers and if Urias is out on that list. Um, and if I remember correctly down the stretch, he was kind of alternating starts with stripling. He would open, stripling would come in, stripling would open, uh, Urias would come in. Um, so I didn't, I, I never even viewed him as a threat. I, I thought Jansen pretty much has a grip on this job. Like he's going to have to be horrendous uh, for them to take the role from him. And so this was more of a, the volume should be there and he's been good in the past ranking as opposed to, a, oh, I have confidence that Kenley Jansen is going to be a top six closer ranking. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure it does. And I think that he's going to be in that position if he's on the field. My concerns are more if he's not healthy throughout the year. He's, sure. you know, had a lot of question marks around his health. And Urias was the guy when he was not healthy or available. They would go to Urias for the closer position. Interesting. Okay. I, I, I did not know that, uh, especially how much they're yeah. paying Joe Kelly. I, but, think uh... I can look it up right now, but I'm pretty sure that Urias might have ended up with a handful of saves last year. Okay. All right. Um, well, uh, Brad Hand certainly would have been much higher in this list if it wasn't for how he kind of finished the season there. I think probably halfway through the year, I would have had him around third. Um, but the wheel started to come off for Hand. Um, he had one horrendous blown save where I think he gave up a grand slam. And I, I can't remember what game it was, but it seemed like ever since then, he just went downhill. Now, he's not a guy who's like super old. He's only 30 years old. He only put 57 innings on that arm last year so as long as the stuff is still there I, I i expect him to be more like his first half than his second half but i guess there was enough concern for me to rank him outside of my top five yeah definitely um i i can get behind what you're saying by the way uh urias had four saves on the year last year so he was wow. the guy when jansen wasn't available um just so you know and he also should be maintaining his sprp eligibility so that is also kind of a big factor awesome Anyways, um, back onto hand. So hand still has like a lot of the peripheral numbers that I kind of look for when I'm going for closers. He's got a low enough whip. It's not super low, but it is like lower than like the Archie Bradleys and, you know, just like uh, the Edwin Diaz's of the world. And he's got a high K per nine. And I think that there's going to be less question marks surrounding Cleveland this year. Last year was kind of a weird year for Cleveland. It was like up and down. We got Trevor Bauer. He's throwing hissy fits on the mound, but we're also like a playoff team. We haven't, we don't really know what we're doing. I think this year they're going to be more solidified in just sort of the clubhouse. And I, and I tend to think that uh, Brad hand is good enough to stretch it out throughout the season this time. Sure. And even if they're, they're not good enough to get the opportunities um, you know, like let's say they do trade Lindor or something like that. I think the starting pitching is good enough to still get him those those opportunities um, that you're talking about there. So he's he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. I mean, look, if I draft Brad Hand as one of my closers, I feel comfortable. Um, it's just you know what what's he going to is he going to be more of the second half Brad Hand or is he more of that first half Brad Hand? Either way, I think the job is is safe uh, in his hands. How about that? All right, there you go. Uh, wow, that was 
That was yeah. incredible. And that's you're welcome. On the spot. You know, guys, yeah. like you can't. I, I don't like these jokes down. <laughs> but anyways it like hand isn't he just another example of like why we don't want to draft closers early it's just like oh 100 percent. why why even bother you know and it, it feels like you know i'm not trying to make it sound like why are we even listing these guys because it's like it's it's relevant it's important but man you know if you don't have an extra pick to just kind of like throw on a closer you just you gotta wait right yeah i mean and that's a good way to look at it but you know in our league just so the listeners know and and most of the listeners are going to be from our league. We can trade draft picks. So if you've got, you know, two or three picks in the first round or even in the first two rounds, um, maybe you do want to throw one on an elite closer, especially if it's a hater or a Yates. Um, but otherwise, I, I agree. I mean, if you did take hand early last year, I mean, you, you kind of got your money's worth. You did get 34 saves, you know, a high K9, a fine ERA, um, not that great of a whip. But down the stretch when you needed him the most, because we're a head-to-head league, he really wasn't that good. Um, so I don't remember who had him, but I'm curious if that ended up costing them some W's. But the next guy on my list I know is way far down on yours, and I think he's the last guy we'll really need to spend a lot of time on before diving into catchers. But um, I definitely want to bring up a couple more names. But Edwin Diaz, uh, thoughts on him? So I had Diaz for like sort of the second half of the season last year. Um, obviously, we all know it was just a bad year for him on a bad Mets team. Um, I, I don't know if I can just say Mets are going to Mets about this and sort of just like kind of chalk it up to that. But I kind of feel like saying that because you have no idea year by year what this team is going to be up to with their internal affairs. And they seem to be like teasing about Seth Lugo all year last year, like kind of just being like, Hey, Mets fans, wouldn't you rather this guy? And then being like, no, we're going to put Diaz in there. We're paying him so much money, blah, blah, blah. He's our guy. I, it's too much of a headache for me. I have him 16th and I have a dash with him and Lugo because, you know, I think that Lugo has just as good of a chance of being the, the better uh, pitcher out of the two of them next year. And there's so much confusion there that I don't want anything to do with either of them. That's a fair point. And I, especially the confusion, right? Because Mickey Calloway is gone and Mets fans can breathe a sigh of relief, but now we've got Carlos Beltran in there who has no experience at all as a coach, not, not in the minor leagues, not as a bench coach, not as anything Um, right off the street, basically. And I wonder how much of that is just, Let's bring in Beltran. The players respect him. The fans will get behind it. And it doesn't really matter who's in that position because it's going to be the metrics guys and the nerds, for lack of a better term, the us making the decisions for the team uh, up in the front office. So, you know, it's going to be, all right, Beltran, when this inning comes around, this is who you're putting in. And if that's the case, I worry about a stable closer situation. At the same time, Edwin Diaz was much better, as you said, than he was last year. I, I don't know if I've ever seen this much of a difference. His ERA was 5.59. His XFIP was 3.07. And although he was pretty bad in both halves, uh, in the second half, his strikeouts went up. Uh, his whip went down. So I think there's hope that a player as talented as him, just 26 years old, one season removed from the best closer season since I don't know when. Um, I'm hoping – they can figure it out. They were heavily invested in this player based on what they gave up to Seattle to get him. So to pluck the closer role from him so quickly, especially after a season, which is K nine was 15.36, I think would be a little drastic, but you're right. There's, there's a lot of uh, confusion and sort of unrest with 
this situation. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is, he did have like a much lower XFIP um, than ERA, which is always a sign of positive regression. But he he's had he had that throughout the entire season, and it just never got better. And I wonder if the XFIP is like kind of, um, you know, like not inflated because it's low, but if it's kind of like a mirage because he just had like bad outings, he would save a game and he would get three strikeouts and that's awesome. But then the next day he would go out and let up five earned runs. And so I wonder if that like heavily impacts his XFIP or if it, if his XFIP is kind of a little bit lower because they were like uh, specific outings. Yeah. I mean, everything's sort of included with that. Um, I mean, the home run rate was so up that I'm surprised his ex-FIP was so low because that obviously accounts for home runs, whereas FIP kind of doesn't. But at any rate, I mean, he you're right. He wasn't consistent enough. We can't just look at the – sometimes we have to look past the advanced numbers and say, that's great. But at the end of the day, our league does not count ex-FIP. It counts ERA. And the ERA was almost six. Um, so however you want to look at that is, is fine with me. I think he's a fascinating player. He's – another type of guy who, I mean, if he's ranked closer to where you have him at 16th than where I have him at, at eight, then I can, I will definitely be taking him uh, because why not, especially with that strikeouts per nine, but there's definitely cause for concern there. Um, I'm just going to read yeah. off my, my next seven or eight. Uh, I'm going to read off my next eight. And I, why don't we each pick one guy who we really want to talk about? Does that sound fair? Okay. Definitely. So in order after Diaz, I have Hendricks. Uh, then Kimbrell. Now I had Will Smith. Apparently reports are that he's not going to be the closer. So we'll call it Mark Melanson, but I'm going to have to adjust my rankings anyway. Uh, Taylor Rogers, Raziel Iglesias, Hector Neris, Brandon Workman, and Emilio Pagan. So who did you have uh, for your second half there of the top 16? By the way, 16 because we are a 16 team league in World Series of Fantasy Baseball. So, yeah, after Kenley Jansen at seven, I had Keg, uh, Craig Kimbrell. I had Iglesias, Carlos Martinez. Then I have Brandon Workman. I have Emilio Pagan, Ken Giles, Taylor Rogers, Robles, and then the Edwin Diaz, Seth Lugo kind of combination. Cool. So who, who's one guy that you feel pretty strongly about? Um, I feel really strongly drafting Emilio Pagan. Um, and that's just because you – can see what a pitcher with excellent ratios with um, a lot of opportunity and with a heavy K per nine, what that kind of pitcher can do despite having like middle of the road, save opportunities. So he's somebody that doesn't get the save nod every single game. Maybe that'll change next year. I haven't heard necessarily if it will or not. Um, Who knows? He kind of splits it with like Diego Castilla and then um, the other Jose Alvarado. There you go. Yeah. So they sort of kind of like, form a three-headed monster over there in Tampa Bay. And I just think that he's somebody whose position will not change. He's always going to be like kind of that eighth inning, ninth inning guy. Um, So he's going to have like middle of the road save numbers. He had 20 last year, which is pretty high. Um, I don't expect maybe him to keep that up because I know that Castillo and Alvarado both dealt with injuries for a large portion of the year. He was kind of the only healthy one, but his K to um, walk rate, was 96 to 13. Wow. That's just like stuff that you need for our league. Yeah. Because it affects so many different things. It's like it affects your whip. It affects your ERA. 
It affects, um, you know, your K per nine, obviously, because of the high Ks. It's just he does every single thing for our league, and he didn't have, like, the most saves. So he's somebody that I'm going to be targeting all over the place, probably due to his ADP. Definitely an interesting player to own, and, and it's almost like a safeguard because even if, let's say, you draft him and then finally spring training ends and Kevin Cash commits to Jose Alvarado being the closer, which I don't expect him to do, by the way. I don't, I don't think they're going to commit to a closer all year. It's just not what they do. No. Um, even if he does that, though, as you kind of explained, Pagan's value is, doesn't disappear, whereas some of these guys who, if they lose their closer role – there's not a whole lot of reason to own him. Uh, you'll notice that neither Chris or I had Doolittle ranked. Um, or did I have Doolittle there? I didn't. Neither of us had Doolittle ranked in our top 16. And that's because if, if he does lose that close role, and it, look, Daniel Hudson's a, a real threat there, um, that his value's useless. Whereas Pagan, as you said, uh, you know, he, he kind of does everything there. The one player I yep. wanted to, to talk about, and I'm going to put my Homer hat on for a second here, was Brandon Workman. Um, there's a lot of concern for a workman. Uh, he walks a lot of guys, which you don't want from your closer. He's a little inconsistent. Um, but things that you do want from your closer, he has a, he had a 13.06 strikeouts per nine. Um, his whip was 1.03 despite his walk rate. Um, I mean, he's almost walking six batters per nine innings, which is just horrendous. But if he can get the control down pat, um, he's a strikeout pitcher. He doesn't give up home runs. He keeps the ball in the yard. I think his, his home runs per nine was like 0.13. Um, so he keeps the ball in the yard. I think also I'd be targeting him now because I think it's going to eventually lead to Brandon Workman's the closer next year. I know everybody looks at the Red Sox and they, oh, it's the Red Sox. They're not going to use some guy named Workman as their closer. They're going to bring in, you know, maybe they're the team that trades for Ken Giles or um, they're the team that signs Will Smith, which obviously isn't the case because he's now signed with the Braves. Um, but with another name off the board and, and Workman still kind of the leading candidate to, to close for the Red Sox, I don't I, I think the Red Sox can only be better next year, right? I mean, J.D. Martinez is coming back. They still haven't traded Mookie Betts, although it's still a possibility. And even if they're not, if they're if they're as bad as they were last year, I think Workman's going to have more close or save opportunities with the role. Um, he had quite a few blown saves, all right? He had 22 opportunities and he only got 16 saves. But this is the type of guy who you're not really going to have to pay anything for. Where last year, you really didn't have to pay much to get Barnes or Brazier, and, and it'd be a good idea to handcuff both. This year, I think it's going to be Workman, and you're probably going to get him for the same price that you would have got Brazier and Barnes at, except he now has had success in that closers role. Um, and if he keeps it, he's a guy who 71 innings last year, 104 strikeouts. I think he could be pretty valuable uh, in your bullpen. Um, the position is volatile, so maybe he falls off a cliff next year. I don't expect it, though. Not for a pitcher who does not give up home runs. You can survive the walks if you follow it up with strikeouts um, and you keep the ball in the yard. Yeah, and even more to your point on Workman is, like, even if he doesn't close, he had 10 wins last year. And if he doesn't close, then those wins, you know, they're going to stay up higher than if he's the closer. So he's going to have value. I think that a large part of his value came from the fact that he had 10 wins. So the more wins he gets, the better off he is too. That's a great point. And with Hein Bloom now uh, as their, their president of baseball ops, I think that's his title. I don't know. I can't keep these titles straight anymore. I just want to call him the GM, but I know he's not. Um, I think he was, he was asked, you know, could the Red Sox use an opener this year? And his response, has been, this has been the response for pretty much every question is we're open to all avenues. Um, it'd be interesting to see if Workman as an opener, Workman in the closers role, whatever the case, maybe he does provide some value because there's no question last year he was the best piece in that bullpen. Yeah, you and me both. We talked about guys that, you know what I mean, they're 
you know, we were saying earlier on how we don't really trust these guys that kind of like bounce around uh, roles and stuff like that. But when you find them, you got to just grab them and hold on to them because you never know. Like Emilio Pagan ended up 10th. Brandon Workman ended up 8th on our play right. Raiders. So. Oh, that's a, it's such a great point. Um, that, that, that value is, is just hard to find. So we're going to transition now um, to catchers. And, and I was timed out pretty, pretty well there because I thought we only had really 30 minutes really to talk about relievers um, without going overboard and, and talking in circles. So now's a good time to transition to the catcher position. Um, what's your strategy on, on catchers, Chris? Um, sort of my exact same uh strategy on relief pitchers don't go for the early guys wait a little bit um because you never know when you're gonna hit the christian vasquez's of the world and sort of you know change up your entire strategy or your entire team with just one waiver ad absolutely and i'm I'm glad you said that we're gonna be on the same page my catcher next year might be my very last pick um because of guys like you said christian vasquez i had jorge alfaro last year um and he was awesome for me. There was that like two or three week stretch from Danny um, Jansen where I, I dropped Jorge Alfaro and picked up Jansen and just sort of rode that hot wave. Now, look, the catcher position was kind of a disaster for me last year, but that's kind of the point where it's a disaster for everybody. Even John owning Gary Sanchez. Yeah, his end of the year stats look great, mostly. And that's wonderful if you're in a roto, but if you're in a head to head league where Gary Sanchez goes one for 24 and then misses the next three weeks because he's hurt. That's killing you because you used the second round pick on him. So I broke my rankings up by tier, and here are my top four in order because I think number one is, is might throw people off. He has Monty Grandel at number one, Gary Sanchez, number two, JT Romuto, number three, and Wilson Contreras, number four. I view that as the uncontested top tier of catchers. Who is, uh, who is your top tier, Chris? Um, my top tier is the same guys, but only three of them. I have Real Muto first, and then Sanchez, and then Grand, uh, Grandal, and that's my top tier. Um, my second tier is actually the Will tier. It's Ramos, uh, Wilson Contreras, and Will Smith. Um, so I'm effectively calling it the Will tier. Uh, <laughs> but my top tier is just three, just the top three guys, Real Muto, Sanchez, Grandel. All right, so let's focus on on them for a second here. Um, our league counts walks. Yasmani Grandel had more than double the amount of walks that anyone else on my top 16 for catchers had. He walked 109 times last year. He even had five, added five steals. He has first base eligibility. Now the big mystery for him and you're, you're being consistent here based on your starting pitching rankings is that we don't know where he's going. Um, so obviously that could be a concern. If Yasmani Grandal is catching next year for the giants, which obviously we all know he wouldn't be, but hypothetically, let's say he, he goes to San Francisco. Um, obviously, He's not going to put up 28 homers, 79 runs, 77 RBI. So was it a career year? Maybe. But that plate discipline, the dual position eligibility, um, I am heavily in on Yasmani Grandal next year. Yeah, I think that he's somebody that is really, really valuable specifically in our league because of the walks. I have him ranked third, like you said, because we don't know where he's going. Um, And I think that there's a lot of variables that that kind of – or that consists in that. So, like – where he's going in terms of ballpark is huge. Milwaukee's a great hitter's park. So if he goes to a pitcher friendly ballpark, that's going to obviously take some value out. We also don't know, is he going to play first base wherever he goes? He got a lot of opportunity at first base in Milwaukee, which kind of gives him, you know, more counting stats. It gives him all, you know, more walks, more 
you know, hits, all that good stuff. So is he going to play first base as much as he did in Milwaukee, wherever he goes, who knows? Um, so that's why I have him ranked third. He's again, you know, when I talk about these guys that I rank based off of them being free agents, they have the potential to, to skyrocket. So keep your eye on them. Definitely follow them throughout the off season. Um, but for right now, I'm going to keep them behind real Muto and Sanchez. Sure. That's fair. I mean, if Grandal ended up in like Colorado, I mean, it, <laughs> he'd be like uh, his own peer, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's definitely a, an extreme example of what you're talking about there, but I, I couldn't agree more. I am in on Grandal. I look forward to see where he, where he ends up. Um, whether he, even, even if he ends, let's say he ends up in the American league and it's a team that has a catcher that wants to put him at DH. It's probably not going to happen, but what a dream scenario would that be? Cause you'd have a guy who has catcher eligibility, first base eligibility, and he's going to get you 500 at bats. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at where ESPN has him ranked now. Their rankings are, they were literally called the too early rankings, right? The way too early 2020 rankings. So this could change. It's based on, uh, on head to, uh, is it based on head to head leagues? I believe it is. Um, Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's based on rotisserie leagues, but the guys ranked around Grandal. I am, I have no interest in taking, so I usually don't end up with a top catcher, but I could here. So he's ranked 148th overall. Uh, let's do the two above him and the two beneath him. 146, Brian Anderson, 147, Sean Doolittle, who we've already established we don't like. Then you've got Grandal, 149, Will Myers, 150, Trey Mancini, who's short, good. Um, a guy I might be interested in next year, but man, if I can get Grandal's numbers. Well, like- yeah, he doesn't belong in that tier of players. You know, he's a better player than all of those guys that are around him. So agreed. So I think he's a, if those rankings hold up, kind of a unique example of a top tier catcher. I might actually end up with, but still probably won't. Um, yeah. So now we've got we get Sanchez and Real Mudo. I had Sanchez over Real Mudo. You had Real Mudo over Sanchez. So what do you like so much about Real Mudo that's got him uh, above Gary? Um. Let's see. Well, first of all. Real Muto finished second on the player Raider behind Grandal. So I think that he, you know, he and Grandal were kind of on their own tier last year. So that's why I like him so much as the number one. I think that he's a little bit more, he's obviously more steady than Gary Sanchez. Um, and there's a lot more injury uh, history with Gary Sanchez. It's another thing that I take into account with that. And I think that Real Muto's numbers are going to improve. It was his first year in a new ballpark. Um, he had been with the Marlins for the entirety of his career before that. Right. Yes, that's correct. So, yeah. So I just, you know, it'll, I, I expect guys like him and Harper to kind of take a, uh, not a big step, but a, a marginal step forward this year, uh, a year removed from their big um, change of teams. Yeah. If he does, then there, I don't think there's any question that he should be the top catcher, uh, maybe even above Grandel. I mean, 92 runs, 25 homers, 83 RBI, um, and even nine stolen bases, the average is absolutely doable at 275, particularly for a catcher. So I, I totally understand the the ranking um, of having him number one or at least definitely above Gary. I have Gary because number two over Real Muto. That upside with Gary Sanchez just seems huge. His hard contact rate is 42%. Um, his BABIP was 240, so there might be some room for improvement there. I mean, he's no speedster, so it could just be an accurate BABIP. Um, but even if it doesn't, we, you sort of accept a bad batting average with Gary Sanchez, right? But the point is, if he stays healthy, we could be talking about a catcher who's 100 RBI and 40 home runs. That's insane. Um, now, will he ever stay healthy to do that? I don't know, but he's only 27 years old. And if it does ever happen, if that dream season happens where he's healthy, I want to be in on him. Um, but at the same yeah. time, again, I'm not going to have any of these guys. 
I know. Yeah, we were talking about it yesterday. Like, obviously, we all want to be the one guy that owns a full healthy season of Gary Sanchez because what he can do is so far and beyond what, like, even the number one catcher, like, on a year-to-year basis does. It's just astronomical. The value that you get out of out of a full season of Gary Sanchez would be enough to win a league. Oh, 100%. Uh, he's a difference maker, but, you know, Head-to-head, he's going to have those prolonged slumps because of the strikeout. So uh, that's why I had Grandal over him. But the, the Sanchez upside is huge. Definitely the most upside, I'd say, out of my top tier. and uh, Because my top tier also includes Wilson Contreras, who you said is part of your will category. So what are your thoughts on him going forward into 2020? Um, well, my thoughts on Wilson Contreras are – that I think that he has two potential outcomes for this year, which is that he either stays with the Cubs or the Cubs trade him, which it seems like they are trying to do. I don't know if you've been keeping up with their off season, but it seems like they're trying to cash in on Contreras right now. Interesting. That so again, certainly ruffles some feathers there. Yeah. It's sort of like a grand all situation where it's like, you know, obviously he benefits from staying home because he's got Anthony Rizzo and a bunch of talented hitters around him and stuff like that. But he could even be more of a beneficiary of a trade if he were to go to like an American league ballpark, because I think that American league teams would look to put his bat in the lineup as a DH as well. So, you know, he could have more opportunity this year. You know, the key for him is going to be staying healthy after a year removed from how many games did he miss? It was a, it was a lot. I don't know how many games he missed. It was a lot. And it was unfortunate because he was having such a great season. He only ended up with 360 at bats, which if we, if we give him, you know, let's just say a hundred more at bats. This is a guy mm-hmm. who in a hundred less had 24 homers, 64 RBI. And something that stood out to me is it seems like he, as he's getting older, he's now 27, he's getting stronger. His hard contact rate went up 8% from 2018 to 2019 to 37%. So if that trend continues and he's going to be a 40% hard contact rate guy, I expect those power numbers to climb, combine that with more at bats. And uh, he could be a pretty nice power source from a position where you usually get nothing. Yeah, and his average will not kill you. Right, it, should, it shouldn't, right? Uh, all four of those guys, other than, well, actually, Grandal had a pretty low average, but other than Sanchez, they should be they should be fine in the batting average department. Now, my next yep. tier is very different from your will tier. So I had Contreras, I'd consider him in that top four, but, um, you know, whatever. Uh, now, you had Will Smith and Wilson Ramos. Ramos I have way down at 11. Um, but my next tier were guys who I label as, like, the mystery, potentially could be great, catcher tier um they're both 29 year olds mitch garver coming off an incredible season and salvador perez so they're obviously their names don't begin with will so they must be further down where did you have mitch and sal at literally right after the will tier i have perez seventh and i have garver eighth okay so mitch garver coming off a season with a 404 woba which is huge for a catch i mean he had the best woba among it had to be among all all catchers last year because here i'm looking at my top 16 and uh no one else is, is in the 400. No one else is even in the 380s. Um, incredible season, 31 homers. Um, and yet, he's a guy who sort of came out of nowhere, 29 years old. Um, you know, obviously not doing anything in the speed department like most of these guys, but not, you know, an excessive walker or anything like that. And even with 31 bombs, only 67 RBI. So what are your thoughts on Mitch going into 2020? 
Um, I gotta say, like, I had Mitch Garver for a minute, and then I dropped him like an idiot, and I am regretting it ever since. I love Mitch Garver. <laughs> I think that he's like, how many times are you gonna see a catcher pull in the season that he pulled in? And he's on a great team, so it's like you know he's gonna be surrounded by good bats and stuff like that. I have him a little bit lower than the guys that I mentioned, just due to the fact that he only had 311 at bats last year, and I don't really see that number um, jumping up. I think that the twins like to have kind of a couple of catchers that they have um, calling games for different pitchers. Um, They have so many different kinds of personalities and pitcher styles in their rotation that I can see them, you know, using a Jason Castro type um, two out of their two games out of their five game week. And if Mitch Garver is capped off at less than 350 at bats, then I, I just don't think or plate appearances rather. I, I don't see there being much room for improvement on the season he had last year. Sure, that's fair. I mean, but it's, it's going to be hard to improve from those numbers anyway. But even a slight regre- regression. Let me ask you, on that, that top uh, 300, the two early rankings on ESPN, so this is overall, where would you expect Mitch Garver to land? On theirs? Yeah. <laughs> well, ESPN are not the smartest people in the world. Um, so out of their top three, sorry, ESPN. Uh, I would say somewhere around like the one – 180s I would hope is like that's too far in my opinion but I would hope that they would at least put him around there ESPN has Mitch Garver right now and this is I'm sure this will change if he has a good spring training I mean it should already change at 236 so when I saw that I thought fluke season or not this is a guy can invest almost nothing in and potentially have huge upside. He's ranked lower than the next be- the next hitter above him is Tommy Edmond at 232. <laughs> um, so I don't I don't even I don't know what goes into that thought process. I think you have yeah. even if even if you don't care that position eligibility. Let's say you take position eligibility out of the picture. It's a guy who had 31 homers last year uh, in in plays in, in a lineup that's as you said excellent. It was the best offensive team during the regular season. So shocking to see that um and i think they even had salvador perez who you had above him but i had uh beneath him significantly higher so yeah salvador perez is ranked 164 so to go from perez at 164 who didn't play a game last year to garver down at uh whatever i said it was 240 don't you you like pray don't you just pray that salvador perez has the kind of season that mitch garver just had Right. That's fair. You're like, oh, my God, could you imagine a 30 home run season from Salvador Perez? It would be so great. Oh, I'm just going to draft him based off of that potential. And then Mitch Garver does it for you and you rank him 60 spots. How many spots lower? Are you kidding me, ESPN? Come on. Yeah, yeah. it, it definitely seems like an oversight in their their early rankings. I mean, it, to be fair, you'd be praying that Mitch Garver has a season like Mitch Garver had in 2019. But you're right. I mean, the difference in Woba between Garver and Perez, if we take Perez's 2018 season, which was the last season he was healthy, and Garver's 2019, Garver had a Woba 100 points higher, 404 to 304. But ESPN separates them in the opposite direction by like 60 spots. So, I mean, I don't mean to turn this into – tearing up ESPN but if Garver's a guy that's slept on I will gladly take him just because he's the you know unsexy 29 year old catcher uh if I can get him I will yeah I mean I like I said I have behind the will tier Wilson Ramos Contreras and Will Smith I have Salvador Perez seventh and Mitch Garver eighth 
I have Salvador Perez a little bit higher because I just don't expect Mitch Garver to do the same thing. And like I said, Salvador Perez is a workhorse. He's going to get like 500 um, at-bats versus Garver's like 350. But that's just, you know, me being a little bit more conservative. Anyways, what I was going to say is I have those guys seventh and eighth, and that is the last tier of catcher that I would draft before the very last round yes. of the draft. Sure. <laughs> that, those, those two are the last two names that like – you know, with the exception of maybe Christian Vasquez, but like that's it. The rest of them, I want nothing to do with till my final pick in the draft. That's and and that that's usually my approach. To be fair, I mean it's circumstantial, right? Like if if you don't expect Gary to be there in the eighth round, and you feel pretty good about your first two or three starting pitchers, you think your offense is rounding up pretty well, and you say, you know what, I want to take a chance on Gary. I would understand it, and I I might do the same thing. But based on where these guys are usually going to get drafted. I'm pretty much in the same boat. Um, it's just Mitch Garver's placement and Yasmani Grandel's placement in those er- very early rankings, which they're called, um, kind of caught my attention as guys I might have. But I agree with you. Um, and I'm actually, I think, a little bit more extreme. If I'm if I'm not getting these guys at, a, I'd almost say a discount given the position of catcher, I'm just waiting until my last pick. I am. I, I mm-hmm. could have had Mario Faro with my last pick last year and it would have been a great pick. Um, the one thing that, I will say about Perez is, you know, Tommy John surgery. Think about the the three guys who've come back from Tommy John surgery that are hitters, Glaber Torres, Christian Vasquez, DD Gregorius. So if there's an injury concern that now there were injury concerns with Perez before the Tommy John surgery, but if you're worried about the Tommy John surgery, I wouldn't be, I expect Salvador Perez to be a 29 year old beast at the plate. Um, it just comes down to how, how much is he going to get out there? How good is the Royals lineup going to be? Um, and, you know, can he improve upon that 235 average from two two years ago? Uh, I don't know. If not, he sounds like kind of a poor man's Gary Sanchez, which might be good given the price. Probably not interested. So you had Will Smith pretty high. Tell me about Will Smith. Um, Will Smith obviously, you know, kind of took over the league by storm. Um, he came in for an injured Austin Barnes one time around. Um, you know, he wowed fans with like two or I think it was like three games in a row where he hit a home run to win the game or something like something crazy. Yeah. And then they sent him back down. Then they send him back down when Austin Barnes is healthy. And then Austin Barnes is a disaster again. And then they bring back Will Smith and he does the same freaking thing over and over again. He just wins games for them. And they're like, you know what, finally let's settle on the guy that's actually probably got 10 times the amount of war of our current catcher in like, one twentieth of the amount of opportunities. It's probably accurate. So, I think he had one point yeah. seven WAR in one hundred sixty at bats. So, yeah, exactly. Like he's just he won games for them. So he's a clutch bat. He's gonna get the opportunities this year. He's young. He's got room for improvement. I think I don't know how old he is, but I think he's stepping into those years where you start to add a little bit more power. And he, you know, he wasn't ever like hyped up as a big head, like hitter. Um, prospect in the minors obviously they have Kybert Ruiz who is like supposedly like their version of Gary Sanchez he's supposed to be a monster who knows when he's gonna you know come contest the throne but for right now I think it's safely Will Smith's and I think that the opportunities there for him to just you know sort of become that top 10 catcher with volume um, he's learned at every level he's put in a lot of work with his hitting coaches um, to become the best hitter that he can because he wants to be in games. And he's also a phenomenal game catcher from what I've heard. So he's, I think that it's his gear to just sort of like be that 500 at bat catcher. Well, so if I knew I was going to get 500 ABs out of Will Smith, then I'd definitely be in. 
Um, I'm just going to go forward with these catcher rankings, by the way, just pretty much ignore where I would have to draft them because as you guys know, I'm, re- I'm really not going to end up with any of these guys. But the one thing that worries me about Will Smith, and, and he definitely seemed like an awesome player to own last year, um, 52 strikeouts in 170 at-bats. Now, a lo- these guys are catchers. A lot of them strike out often. But a young guy striking out that much, uh, you might have some prolonged Gary Sanchez-esque slumps without the Gary Sanchez-esque highs. Um, and that would be a little concerning for me. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, I think that Will Smith has a little bit more um, contact skill than Gary Sanchez, but um, that's a very high K percentage. So definitely something to be wary of. And here's the thing about Will Smith. I have him ranked sixth, but I will never be drafting him this year because his value is going – or his um, – his ADP is just going to be way too high. Like he came in and kind of the narrative overwhelms you. He's like got like this crazy power of winning games and stuff like that. His ADP is going to be crazy. Don't invest him in, in him where they have him ranked. If you can get him for a discount, go for it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's, he's ranked 155, um, which to me is, is just too high for a player with his track record. Um, and again, that's the, that's the super early rankings, but ESPN has Will Smith already as a top five catcher. So they're more in on him than you and I are. Um, yeah. My, I have Will Smith ranked seventh, so only one spot lower than you. Um, and I, I call this tier, uh, I, I tiered these three players up. My, uh, well, I guess I really don't have a name for it if I have to come up with it on the spot. But my like, might as well roll the dice tier. Now, I won't have the yeah. opportunity to roll the, roll the dice on Will Smith, but what are your thoughts on Sean Murphy and Francisco Mejia, uh, these kind of high upside, young, young bats? Um, I don't really know too much about either of them necessarily from their last year's stats. So this is kind of just me going all off of um, like what I've heard and what I kind of know just off the top of my head. I like Mejia as a power source. Um I don't know if he's going to have the contact skills to sort of compete with Austin Hedges in the fact that like there's sort of the same exact player, you know what I mean? Low contact skills, but high um, home run possibilities. And then also with Sean Murphy moving to Oakland, I'm just not too big on that. Sure. Uh, You know, in the playing in the Coliseum isn't going to be that great. And I I think Oakland likes Fegley. I do expect Murphy to be by far the, the dominant catcher next year, despite just 53 at bats last year. Um, both of them have some prospect pedigree. Uh, I know the major league pipeline had Murphy as a top 50 prospect. Uh, this might, this had to be in 2019. Uh, and Francisco Mejia was as high as top 27. So they both have the upside. Mejia's power hasn't translated as a professional yet. He really hasn't had that big of a, that, that power season that you might expect. Um, he only had 14 home runs and 427 minor league at bats in 2018, whereas Murphy 11 home runs and 150 at bats. So I think I'm more in on Murphy than I am on Mejia, uh, but really because also because of what you said, Austin Hedges, they kind of project as, as similar players. Hedges definitely a little bit more power at this point in his career. And I think they're just more comfortable with him out there. He's a, he's a much better catcher. Um, but those are the two young guys with some prospect pedigree that I'd say with my last pick, you know, I'd happily, to have either one of them uh, just sort of as a roll of the dice, which may seem a little unfair to have them above Vasquez and Ramos. Ramos, you had really high. Tell me about him. Um, Ramos is just a guy that he's moving as well. So I kind of had to put him a little bit lower than, um, than I would have 
liked to because you don't know where he's going to end up, but he still produced top five catcher numbers last year and he missed some time and he was on a shaky Mets team. So I, I don't think he's going anywhere. He's 31 years old. So I think he's going to kind of be who he was again. So you said something in the starting pitcher one uh, that I found kind of interesting. And it was like, if we look at Kershaw, you know, how much better is he going to get from here? Now I brought up names like Verlander uh, who actually did kind of get better with age, but that's incredibly rare. Right. And as special as Kershaw is, will he have that kind of luck? Who knows? That's kind of how I view a lot of these catchers Uh, in Ramos is the best example of that 32 years old. He did battle some injury stuff last year, but he still got 473 at bats. He only had 14 home runs, 73 RBI. The average was good. I'd say it didn't kill you. It was actually good at 288. But there's no way I'm going to pay, you know, anything remotely close to a valuable pick for someone who's just going to do that at the catcher position. And the reason I bring up what you said about Kershaw is, do we expect Ramos to get any better from here? 473 at-bats and only 14 home runs? I I don't. Um, So I'm way low on him. Whereas with Vasquez, 29 years old, uh, you know, maybe he's just sort of hitting his prime a little bit of a late bloomer with a decent bat. You know, I, I know when he first got called up, Ortiz compared him to Yadi Molina, which is ridiculous. But nevertheless, last year, his BABIP and his fly ball percentage were pretty much in line with his career, but his hard contact rate was up and he wasn't hitting the ball to the opposite fields. He was actually pulling the ball more, uh, which gave him a little bit more power. So Vasquez, I, I, I could see is a little bit interesting. But he, both of these players, to me, I'm not getting super excited that I got them in my draft. Yeah, I mean, I think that any of these guys are just kind of like pick your favorite at this point. You know, I hate to, you know, sort of like kind of brush past the rest of the rankings, but I don't even necessarily feel like I need to talk about any of these other guys except for just like do your homework and figure out which one you think is going to have the opportunity to produce. I agree with that 100%. There's one name on this list, though, that I do want to bring up because I think he's going to be uh, drafted way too high because of his name, and that's Yadi Molina. We're talking about a guy who's 37 years old. Um, and last year, in 419 at-bats, which I think if you're expecting 419 at-bats next year as a 38-year-old or however, he ends up, however old he is at that point, I don't know when his birthday is, Bottom line, 37, 38, does it really matter? If you're expecting 419 at-bats out of him, I don't know if you're going to get that. And even in all those at-bats, he only had 10 home runs and 57 RBI, 45 runs. He had a weird six steals, and his average didn't kill you. I don't expect any of that to get better. And I do think he's going to be a guy that people target maybe over your Vasquez's, your Alfaro's, just because of his name. And I think it's going to be a mistake. Yeah, I think that not last year, but the year before last year was like sort of the last season that you were going to get value out of Yadi Molina. I just don't, like you said, I don't think that the plate appearances are going to be much higher and I don't think that they're going to jump up in any way. I think that it's going to be either leveled off or kind of a downward slide. So let me ask you, Chris, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you Yadi or Molina and I'm going to name some players that ESPN has ranked lower than Yadi or Molina and I want you to tell me who you'd rather have. Yadi Molina or Omar Narvaez? Narvaez. Yadier Molina or Sean Murphy? Sean Murphy. Yadi or Christian Vasquez, who didn't make their Vasquez. top 300? Yadi or Buster Posey? Yadi. I would agree with that. Uh, two more Yadi or Danny Jansen? Yadi. And Yadi or Jorge Alfaro? Alfaro. Agreed. I agreed on all those, I, I except for Jansen. I think I'd rather have Jansen. I think Jansen kind of showed just in that little spurt. 
what maybe he could be capable of doing uh, a little bit more often. I'm just super low on Yadier Molina. It sounds like you are too. ESPN has him ranked as the 11th highest catcher. And at that point, if you're drafting Yadier Molina, why don't you just wait until the very last round and take your James McCann or Roberto Perez? Because you're going to pretty much get the same value. Use that pick on something else. There are guys that you need more than Yadier Molina that you can get when you would draft Yadier Molina. Amen. I agree with that. So, Chris, uh, pleasure talking relief pitchers and catchers with you. I got nothing else to add. Any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with with these two positions? Yeah, last quick plug. Drew Drew Pomerantz struck out 50 batters out of 104 when he moved over to relief, and he will be SPRP. Keep your eye on Drew Pomerantz, where he goes. I love it. What a way to end it. I can't stand Drew Pomerantz as a Red Sox fan, but I think that is a great call. All right, Chris. Well, take it easy, man. Listeners, thank you for listening. I think I'm going to actually start sending these out to World Series of Fantasy Baseball and get a Twitter account up this week, uh, depending on how much time I have. Um, But hopefully next week, uh, first base, sound good to you? Sounds good, Pete. Thanks uh, again, as always. All right. Bye, everyone.